Live from Salt Lake City, the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, where we try to get, encourage anybody, everybody to walk toward Jesus Christ's love, and uh, the ultimate expression of that love is going to be talked about tonight. Now listen, we have some things. Subscribe. We need your subscriptions. We'll notify you of all sorts of things that are going on within the ministry if you do. Number two. We're on Spotify. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify. Number three, Facebook. We are all over Disgracebook. I don't know how, but we're there. Number four, what is that? We're in Instaspam. Look us up on Instaspam. Twitter, check us out. Click the links below. We're on Twitter. The website is hotm.faith. There's all sorts of stuff there. And that's it. Nothing from campus? There's one more. And campus, you can watch us teach through the Bible every Sunday, through the books of the New Testament. Uh, We're working through that. You can come in, you sit on your couch, you watch, you go back and do whatever you're doing. So, uh, listen, in addition to all that, September 1st, it's a Sunday. We used to have these things called Heart in the Parks where we'd have open water baptism and we'd go out to a park somewhere. People would show up and we'd baptize. Well, now we do heart in the parking lot and uh, you show up, we have a font. You come if you want to be baptized. I don't have to do the baptism. You can have anybody baptize you. The way we do it is up to you. You want to be baptized in a certain way, a certain style, certain words, certain person. It's up to you. We just provide the opportunity Plus the hot dogs and chili and chips and drinks and everything after 1130, September 1st, here in Murray, Utah, the uh, Heart in the Parking Lot uh, annual event. So everybody's welcome, any faith, any denomination, whatever you're about, if you want to come. We've had families show up. We never see them before. We never see them after. And the whole family gets baptized. It's amazing, and they all do it, and they they do it in Jesus' name, and they love it, and that's it. So you're welcome, and just remember uh, that is going to happen on Sunday, September 1st, 1130. We're taking live calls tonight after about 40 minutes, 801-950-8413. So uh, please call us, and we want to have engaging talk with you about whatever comments or questions you have. I want to thank all of you who tune in and consider the message. Uh, We're approaching 8,000 subscribers now, and uh, we're getting a couple thousand viewers. That's a lot. To me, that's like if you have an audience of 2,000 people every week, that's a pretty good-sized audience at a church. And so I I view the church as that. And uh, we know that we even have enemies out there who watch because they despise me. But we have seen some of the things that we've talked about influence them and then incorporate them into their actual churches. So, hey, I say praise God. And we really want to thank anybody and everybody who supports us through their prayers and their hard-earned finances. Um, Ours is a very, very small ministry. But dollar for dollar, we try to put out as more than any ministry can or does Dollar for dollar, we're giving you as much stuff as we possibly can, and we know you have a lot of options. If you're led and in a position, we thank you for that support because it helps us get this stuff out to you. All right, 
This is Hear Me Out Part 3. We have a Part 1, 2, 3, and 4. Next week, 4, and then we're done with the Hear Me Out. If you want the specifics of uh, uh, the things we've talked about before, they're right there on our website. Last week, we talked about how, even though the Bible makes it clear that God, through His finished work of His Son, is now, from 70 AD out, establishing His kingdom among individuals. It's not in a church in a single church, a single denom, it's in individuals, whoever they are, wherever they are, and that the faith is subjectively known and understood because he writes his laws upon the hearts and minds of individual people by his spirit. And that uh, because of that, people have, or not because of it, people have ignored that and they have tried to insert religion, organized institutional religion in between the individuals all around this world, and God. They insert these religions. And we illustrated on the whiteboard last week four main groups that kind of represent Christianity uh, at large. And we talked about how they have engaged in a tug-of-war against each other uh, so that they can have control over more and more people with their special religious uh, super sauce, right? So we have the Roman Catholics, and that's a huge organization, right? Institution. And then we have Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy. That was in a tug of war against Roman Catholicism at the Great Schism. And then we talked about Protestantism in the 1500s that came forward. And it we warred against Catholics and Orthodoxy. And then we had the Restorationist movements, which we kind of threw everybody in that who's not Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox. And they are the Mormons and the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they're tug-of-warring against everybody. And we also mentioned that there's another 5 billion folks that those churches I just mentioned all believe are going to hell. They All those churches collectively, they can't agree with each other, but they can collectively agree, you know, as, a, as an institution that the five billion in these other groups are all going to hell. And I think we said uh, LGBTQ, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the atheists. They're all going to hell forever, created by God, and they're going to burn literally in that place. So we have a tug-of-war situation going on with all the interdenominational infighting. And we have that whole group looking at five billion others and saying they are all going to hell. No matter what kind of people they are or what they have in their heart or any of that, if they fit in those groups, hellbound, right? All of this stuff, all of this infighting, the warfare, the division, the name calling, listen, could and would be done away with if believers could see that God reconciled, saved, the entire world through his son. If everyone agreed with that, who's a Christian, if they agreed with that, then the warfare that exists, the conflicts that exist would go away because they would stop looking at each other as unsaved and headed for hell. They would stop looking at each other and saying, your doctrine's wrong, you're going to hell, or you don't have enough to get to heaven. They would say, we have seen that God has saved everybody. So we have to find out tonight, has God saved everybody? And 
therein lies the power and the problem of organized religion because its very existence is anathematic to love and understanding and getting along. Its very existence is to say, we have a proprietary product that is better than the rest. Come to us. We'll tell you how to live your life. And the problem is, is that when you go to them and learn how to live your life, you begin to point fingers at everybody else. It's just a natural byproduct. And that is something that... So if God, through his son, saved the world, past, present, future, without exception, without any condition, saved the world, Idi Amin, Hitler, Pol Pot, down to the Pope and, and Ezra Taft Benson or whoever, he saved the world through his son, then there remains no reason for denominational infighting, judgment, criticism, attack on anybody else in this world. Do you see how beautiful that is? If you're a Christian and you say, I think God saved the whole world, it will stop you from everything that is dividing us. So my challenge tonight is, can I prove to you he did? Now, anyone can come up with a theory. People do all the time, right and left. Smith did, and people come up with all sorts of religious theories. The question is, does the Bible say God, through his Son, has, will, could save the world, whether it believes or not? Does the Bible say that? Now, every of those denominations will say, of course it doesn't say that. It says you must have faith or to be saved and you must do this to be saved, right? And so we get into this rhetoric. If the Bible says he saved the whole world, it's a major blow to the proprietary religious establishments the world over. We can stop feeding the machine. We can stop feeding it money. We can stop feeding it attention and devotion. And we can step back and say, I have had it shown to me that God has actually save the world from its sin and therefore the world is reconciled to him completely. Everybody on it, believer or not, repenter or not, everybody, right? Now, what makes proving this difficult in the Bible, stay with me because this might open your eyes up to something radical, is that it's difficult to pe for people to read the New Testament and have Jesus saying to people, blah, 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 and you'll be saved. And the apostles saying, blah, 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 and you'll be saved. And not understanding what they're talking about. Christians today read the Bible and it says, blah, 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 and you'll be saved. And we say, okay, we got to do that to be saved. Not realizing that a great percentage of the references to being saved, spoken by Jesus and the apostles, is in reference to something different than being saved from hell to heaven. It's about being saved from other things. Let me give you some examples. Paul was on a boat out in the water that was in peril. And he says in Acts 27, 3, unless you abide in the ship, he says, unless you stay on this ship, you cannot be saved. Now, we can see that the, the passage has nothing to do with being saved from hell and to heaven. It's just a phrase used to be saved. What? You won't drown, is what he says. 
Stay on the boat and you will be saved. That's what he says. So context, audience, circumstances help determine the meaning of saved. We have to start with that. We also know that many times the word saved is used from something that's deleterious to a person. For instance, Jesus says to a blind man in Luke 18, 42, receive your sight. Ready? Thy faith has saved you. Now, all that guy received was his sight. I'm sure there are Christians who will say, see, faith is what saves us. But here Jesus is talking about the blind man receiving his sight. And when he did, it was his faith in Jesus' ability to heal that saved him from blindness. That's the context. So there we have a a setting where saved means saved from something other than hell and to heaven. Now listen closely. What's really revelatory about this is that most of the references... Most of the references in the New Testament about being saved, as stated by Jesus and his apostles, are couched in conversations in a setting about the coming destruction that is going to come upon those people within 40 years. So when Jesus and the apostles talk about being saved, if you do this, you'll be saved. Most of those conversations are about being saved from a prophesied destruction that was coming to them. Physical, actual, literal destruction. If you do this, you will be saved. Most of those comments are talking about being saved from that physical destruction. A destruction that actually did come upon Jerusalem and most of Israel. I mean, it was scorched earth big time. Million plus Jews slaughtered. So before it happened, Jesus and his apostles, who he left behind, are saying, do this, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and you'll be saved. They were talking about saved from that physical destruction. Okay? So the apostolic promise is all through the New Testament, and so are the words of Jesus. For instance, Jesus says to his apostles in Matthew 10, 22, you'll be hated, you apostles. We read it and we think it says it's not. You will be hated for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. The end of what? He who endures to the end through the trials and difficulties that are coming upon them, through the Judaizers and the Gnostics and the Romans pushing on them to abandon the faith, if you endure to the end, You will be saved. Saved from what? The destruction that's coming in 70 AD. That's the context of that passage. That's what he's talking about. You can't take that passage and apply it to ourselves today. That if we endure to the end, we'll be saved. That's not what he was saying. You're stripping it out of context if you read it that way. Again, in Matthew 24, 22, Jesus says, Speaking of the days of destruction coming, unless those days be shortened, the days of the terror that was upon them then, there shall be no flesh saved. There's not going to be any person standing if those days aren't shortened that are coming upon you. No flesh shall be saved. But 
for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened, he says. Meaning God is going to shorten the time up of the persecution that's coming upon them so that there will be some flesh that will be saved. Now, people read that today and they think that we're talking about end times in the future. And unless they're shortened, then no flesh will be saved in the kingdom of heaven. That's not what it's talking about. All right. Now, let me get even more radical to you. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 Jews are standing before him. Who's going to get wiped out at the coming destruction within less than 40 years? Jews. So he stands up and he says in 20, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Peter talking to an audience of Jews who are going to all die if they didn't receive Jesus by faith at the coming destruction. And so I think that's what he was talking about when he says save there. If you don't Jews call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to join the 1.2 million Jews who are slaughtered in Jerusalem. But if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from that. Christians today, read that, see, you got to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved to heaven, assuming that not everybody has been saved by God. They read into the idea that God has not saved everybody. Therefore, they read that passage, assign it to themselves and say, well, you have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. I mean, read Acts 2.21, right? In Acts 2.47, Luke is describing the early little church there in Acts. And he he says that they were praising God and had favor with all the people. And then Luke adds, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. A Christian reads that and says, Yep, the Lord was building up who would be saved from hell and saved to heaven. That's not what it means. In the context of of Acts chapter 2, he, that is all about the coming destruction. And Peter starts it off and says, you got to call the name of the Lord if you want to be saved from that destruction. And the Lord was adding daily from those who would be saved from the destruction. Who would be saved? His church. The church that the gates of hell did not prevail against. Jesus promised, I'm going to come back for you, for you and save you from this coming destruction if you've believed on me. If you haven't had faith on me, if you haven't called on my name... I'm not taking you. You're not going to be saved from it. But if you do, I'm going to come take my church. And that is who the Lord was adding to daily that should be saved. That has nothing to do with uh, being saved from hell to heaven. We all assume that when we read passages like Acts 16.31, where Paul says, Believe on the Lord and thou shalt be saved and thy house. He's talking about saved from the destruction. Absolutely. Or... I say absolutely because that's how I read it and believe it. But at least it's possible. We cannot absolutely say that he's talking about saved from hell and to heaven because of the passages I'm going to prove to you in a minute that prove God saved the whole world. Because God saved the whole world, we know then that Paul is not talking about being saved from hell and to heaven there. He's talking about being saved and his whole house from the coming destruction. Even when Paul writes in Romans, this will hit you, much more than Romans 5, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
Christian reads it today. God's full of wrath. He's angry. You have to be justified by Jesus' blood in order for his wrath not to fall upon you. And they take that and they assign it to themselves being uh, saved from the wrath to come. But Paul there is saying, listen, you want to be saved from the wrath that's going to fall upon Christians and is falling upon Christians by Judaizers and Gnostics and Romans. You need to be covered by his blood when the time of the end comes in 70 AD, when everything's going to be materially destroyed. And so that is what they are being saved from. The wrath that came upon that people at that time. Not a wrath of God out there waiting to pour upon uh, people. That has been taken care of. It's over. That wrath is gone. There is no wrath. When he writes in Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I, I, I believe Paul is talking about being saved from destruction. And then he says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I believe he's talking about from destruction. I don't believe it's necessary from this point forward for people to be saved from hell to heaven by confessing with their mouth. That sound radical? Just wait till I give you the proof. And then we have Romans ten thirteen. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, from destruction, not from hell to heaven, from destruction coming your way. Second Thessalonians 2.10 is a, a book that's about eschatology, end times. There Paul says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. People will read that today and they'll say these people who are going to perish after this life in hell because they received not the love of the truth when they could have been saved. These are the churches who are out there trying to save the world through their missional efforts to build up the whole thing and keep the machine rolling are missing the fact that this was talking about the end times and that those who were perishing or going to perish were going to perish literally in that destruction. And that's what Paul's talking about there. The point being, we need to be really careful when you open up the New Testament and it talks about being saved, that you know what it's talking about. That you make sure that when you assume it's talking about being saved from hell to heaven, that the passage in question is speaking of that. This is so hard for dogmatists and denoms to understand. So back to the question that remains. Does the Bible say that God through his son has, will, can, wants to save the whole world from hell to heaven, irrespective of faith, irrespective of love, irrespective of repentance. Doesn't matter if you've lived a horrible life. Has God through his son in the Bible said the whole world is going to be saved? If it does, it's a major blow. So I want to start with the Old Testament. I have two passages to read you. They're not really on the nose, but these two passages give you the heart of God toward this subject. Okay? Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. We have some graphics. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, an aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. 
He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Now for you biblical literalists out there, is that true? You're a biblical literalist. You take the Bible verbatim, what it says it means. Do you take that verbatim? I do. I'm not a biblical literalist, but I take that passage verbatim because it supports absolutely what the rest of the context uh, and passages say. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever. We have people, you're going to burn in hell forever. The Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or aggrieve the children of men. Not the children of Israel. The children of men that passage is talking about. Very different picture from the monster God of denominationalism that says, you don't believe and say Jesus' name while you're walking in this flesh. You are kindling for hell forever. Those two passages refute that stance, which was created by Augustine many years after Jesus and the apostles were gone anyway, and then propagated by Calvin and guys like him. Let's jump out to the New Testament and let me slay you with the word of God about what it says. Now, the first ones aren't conclusive. You could argue the first ones, but they're there. Ready? 1 John 1, 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's cosmos there. Not sin of believers. Not sin of those who repent. Not sin of those who say the name Jesus. The sin of the cosmos. If the sin is taken away, folks, there's nothing stopping the world from being reconciled to God. Let me give you a few more. Uh, 1 John 4.14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the cosmos. Now, it could be figuratively speaking. We'll accept that. John 3.17, for God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. People would say, might is there, might be, so we can throw in, you got to have faith. All right, I'll go with that one. Jesus said himself in John 12, 47, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. We're walking around telling people, you got to do this and this and this, when the great news, the great news, the good news is you have been saved by Christ. Your, your grandfather did not go to hell and is not still there. The Christian message has never been in the Bible that Jesus came and saved the elect, the chosen, or a few, or only those who comply and comport themselves with what God demands by saying his name and repenting. He did it. That's unconditional love that we're supposed to have. We have a very conditional God who comes and has his son suffer but only saves those who jump through the hoops that, you know, a a person in in Aboriginal Australia up until, you know, the 1800s never understood that, you know, and the Christian faith used to say they're all in hell, you know, and there's still some Baptists, I'm sure, and others who say they're all in hell. It's unbelievable what we've done to this faith. And the scripture speaks against it. We read in 1 John 4, 14, I already read it. 
Uh, now, Paul wrote in, in Romans 5.18, so let's jump to that one. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Did you get that? That was the trespass of Adam. One trespass led to the condemnation of all men. All men. One trespass. So one act of righteousness through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. Now, Christians are quick to say, yeah, because of Adam, the whole world fell into sin. And the whole world's been condemned by God. And I'm saying it this way, not because I disagree with it, just because I like this accent sometimes in the face. But that's what they say. They'll accept that one man took of a piece of fruit and the whole world became hellbound, worthy for hell. But they ignore the fact that one man's righteousness came and justified all men to life. They can't accept that. They say, no, 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 no. You got to give your faith. You got to profess. You got to repent. You got to go to church. You got to pay tithes. You got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. It's not true. You don't got to jack. God is not a conditional God. When God does something, he does it. It's good and it's done, right? So one man, Adam, we're all made sinners. It says it. One man's righteousness, all men leads to justification and life. That means life eternal here, folks. The apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, the Lord, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach, all should reach repentance. Now, that's just a supportive passage. If you break down the Greek, it's saying something a little different in the English. I'm not going to go into it, but it's another one to show that the Lord, at least his desires are not that anyone should ever perish, but should reach repentance. That says to me that everybody is constantly being invited to come and bow the knee and speak the tongue that Jesus is Lord, constantly. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, talking about Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now that in of itself can be debated. Well, that just means resurrection. That's what the Mormons say. Did you know that according to scripture, that human beings only die once? There's people who love to talk about the second death, that you die once and then you go to judgment and you experience the lake of fire, second death, another, you die twice. And then that's, that one's in the lake of fire. But listen to Hebrews 9, 7. Is appointed unto men once to die. After that is the judgment. Now the judgment has nothing to do with reading into that, that we're going to have another death. Once to die. We don't go dying twice. So we can remove that idea right out of the place. For as in Adam all die, that's the once, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the gift of what Jesus did for this world. Remember, Jesus himself said in John 12, 32, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all, draw all people to myself. All people. 
Are you worried about your wayward son that died in a motorcycle accident, committed suicide? Are you worried about your lesbian daughter who took her own life? Are you worried about your pagan friends? Are you worried about your unbelieving sister? Don't worry. God is a God of power. He has done it through his son. You don't have to worry about that. He's a good God. He's not a God out there trying to punish. Not at all. He's not a failure. He doesn't do shoddy work. His work is sufficient. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.10, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. All things in him. All things. He wrote in Philippians 2.10, So that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. When knees are bowing to Jesus, that says, you are my savior. That says, you have done something I didn't realize maybe when I was on earth. You are the one. I fully anticipate every human being to have that experience. Every single one. And in that, Jesus' response isn't going to be, you should have believed me then. It's going to be, welcome to the club, buddy. Welcome here, right? He repeated in Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. That's why he wrote in 1 Timothy 2, 4, about God, that he desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. Does he not get his desires because men and their will is stronger than him or Satan can tempt men better than he can draw them? And so he loses out on everybody and they have to go to a hell that he assigns to them. Listen to Colossians 1.20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether they be in heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And these last two are coffin sealers. They put the idea that God has only saved some, elect, a few, people who confess, people who repent, people who have faith. It puts a lid on that and nails it shut. Are you ready? 1 John 2, 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What more do you want? What kind of God do you want after reading that? It's clear from his own apostle's pen. He was the propitiation for our sins. He's talking about believers there. And not for ours only, believers, but for the sins of the whole world. That's total propitiation. No sin, no alienation from God. No sin, no hell for eternity. Finally, 1 Timothy 4.10. It's a huge one. For therefore, Paul says, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. How much more clear can it be? I mean, he says the Savior of all men, but then he adds this thing, especially those who believe. They certainly, uh, he's the Savior of them. But he's the Savior of all men. How can he be the Savior of all men if not all men are saved? They have been. Now, the Catholics and Eastern Orthodoxy and Protestants and Restorationist types are all clamoring over each other 
that they have special insights, rites, rituals, practices, baptisms on how to get saved, how to stay saved. But the scripture plainly says that God is the savior of all men. Why aren't they preaching that to people? That's the good news. You got a neighbor next door. I don't believe in your Jesus crap, man. Who cares? That's all right. He saved you anyway. What? Yeah, he saved you anyway. You're, you're, you know, he took care of your sin. God's not at, angry at you. You're not going to die in your sin and, and all that. He saved you. He saved the world. Really? Yeah, really. He loves you. I love you. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. Reject him. I'm here. You know, you want to work on our lawn together, whatever, fine. You show him love. You give him the great news. You get rid of the threats. You know, Jim, if you don't confess, he's going to send you to hell. And it just doesn't work anymore, not for thinking people. God knew it wouldn't work. And he wrote it right there in his scripture. But we read around it and we come up with all of our little uh, ideas about religion in order to rewrite it. When Christians come together and we embrace the idea that God has saved everyone from sin and death by his son, whether they believe or not, everyone, whether they repent or not, a good percentage of the interfaith fighting, the divisions will disappear from this earth. And a tremendous amount of hate for non-Christians, for the LGBTQ, for the atheists, for the Muslims, for the Eastern religions will disappear and will turn to love and acceptance of them as Christians, which we should have for them in the first place. And we can take a deep kind of collective breath what a better world we're living in now. What a better place. I don't have to be freaking out on people. God loved everybody. Just look at those passages. Don't trust me. Read them yourself. We don't care if other people believe the good news when you see it this way. God doesn't care if other people believe the good news. He saved the world as it was in its sin. So we rejoice in that. Where God has saved, there's no right to judge. Where God has saved, we can't malign. We will stop doing evil in his name. We'll start getting along and letting the denominational differences and creeds and doctrines just fall to the floor. And we can do it. We do it here at campus. Someone comes in, I'm a Trinitarian. I'm a hell's eternal. Someone comes in, I believe in hell and people are going to it. That's all right, brother. Have at it, man. You can believe that. Well, do you believe that? No, I don't believe that. But it's okay if you do. You can do that because you aren't here to be judge and jury of everybody. You're here to love, serve, help, live your life. Really quickly, the theological basis on this, I'm not going to get into with Calvin and Arminianism and uh, the biblical message that is tonight is that God has saved the entire world. He doesn't punish those who refuse a relationship with him. He does not punish them. Uh, He loves them. He calls to them like any good father would. He blesses them like he blesses the rest. He He does reward. He does reward those who are in relationship with him. People will disagree with me on this. With a peace that is not of this world. With comfort that comes only from him in the spirit. Uh, knowledge of him and his son. He gives, it to all, he gives it to others too. But those, especially those who believe, 
I have seen when I wasn't a believer in him, the difference between being a believer and not a believer in that relationship and the benefits of it here on earth. And we share this message with the world because it's entirely good. It's a message of life. It's a message of light and love. And it promotes genuine Christian fellowship with the world that if it doesn't agree with us, our response has to be agape love. It can't be pushback and anger and, 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 and hate. We share this message to liberate people. We want them to be free from sin that's in their life, what they say is sin and, and addiction and whatever. We want Christ to help them be free of that. And so we share this good news if they want it. But we want to liberate people from religious bondage too. That's why reaching out to the LDS, we want to share this idea of what Jesus has done, right? And it's a message that comforts and encourages, etc., etc. Uh, next week, in our fourth and last part of Hear Me Out, I'm going to wrap up the line that God is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. I'm going to talk to you about the importance of that line and what that means and what Scripture says about the, especially those who believe. We know now from what Scripture is saying, He has, through His Son, saved the world, reconciled it to Himself. The sin is gone. And so we don't have to worry about the hell and the alienation and the anger and the wrath and the punishment stuff for everybody else. It's all taken care of, right? But what does Scripture say about especially those who believe? That is a different subject. And we'll get to that next week. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. Remember, subscribe and do all those other things. And remember, we have some good interviews coming up uh, in the next months. And we're going to talk about those next week. But we have Denver Snuffer. We have a street preacher. We have uh, Ethan Kroc. We have Angela Kelly. Uh, all have something to say in relation to the LDS Church, having been in it or examining it or something about it. All right? I see no calls coming in. So I have some emails. And let me read them to you. Uh, this is actually, let me read you the first one. This is from Brother Ramon. I have a deep curiosity since I put my faith in Christ five years ago. The curiosity is why the word Christian is used so much today to describe our faith in Christ Jesus since uh, only appears three times in the Bible. It gives the references. And I see that none of the apostles called themselves Christians, even Peter or Paul. I see the Bible that the apostles called themselves believers or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, it seems odd to me the word Christian is used for our faith today instead of agape o love, which appears a hundred times more. He says, if people ask me if I'm a Christian, my heart, in my heart, I tend to say the following, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I just have put my faith in the finished and complete work of Jesus where I look to him in love and uh, live by the spirit to authentically and unconditionally love everyone to be a joint heir with him, to become the son of God, our father one day. Based on my fruits, you decide who I am. Again, I might be crazy in this, but I'm confused about it. Can you help me out? Thank you, Brother, Brother Ramon. He's a great supporter of the ministry. Acts 11, 20, Acts 11, 19 through 26 is the first time in Antioch when the word Christian was used assigned to the followers, disciples of Christ. And it is believed by most scholars that that was a pejorative term that it was not used, you know, like in a good way. 
Oh, they're Christians, right? So uh, a, a general use of the word started in around 1590, uh, which uh, was popularized around the time of the Protestant Reformation, Reformation. And that's when it was embraced by Christians, that we are Christians. So uh, a, a word that originally started as a negative kind of became 1,500 years later sort of a positive in that day and age. Uh, I am in complete agreement with you, but this is something that goes on with a lot of people. Like, what do you call yourself? I really, frankly, I love the word Christian uh, as it reflects the New Testament sense of Jesus and who he was and me loving that and following him. But I really hate that word relative to what it's become. And, you know, I don't know if it will ever change, but it is so maligned with uh, evangelicalism, right-wing extremism. And there's a show on Netflix, if you have that um, server, uh, called The Family. And I highly recommend it to anybody. It's on right now. And it's a six-part series about the prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. and the origins of it and what this secretive movement of Christian men have done within politics around the world, using the name Jesus as the door opener. There's good sides to it. There's bad sides to it. That's what I like about it. It seems kind of balanced. And you, as a believer, will watch it, and you'll think, well, I think that's kind of good. And, but you, as, you can also say, but if I am a non-believer watching this, I'm going to think this is kind of bad. And it's kind of what's happened. We have an American Jesus, the perfect orthodontia, dimpled, blonde surfer hair Jesus, you know, who just rocks politics, baby. And it kind of makes me ill. I'm sorry. I just really am a church and state separatist completely. And most evangelicals are not that. They ardently strive and fight for uh, uh, Christian ethics. Our president today, I, you know, I'm not political at all. And he has been embraced by the uh, evangelicals and, and is their president so to speak. They have made him their president. He's my president too. I'm not an evangelical. But, you know, that's part of taking Jesus' name and recruiting people in to get certain social ills uh, addressed in a Christian way. I don't believe in that. I believe Christianity should be the way in communist Russia. I believe Christianity should be the way in poverty-stricken uh, lands. I think Christianity should, could and should be the way in a capitalistic society. But I don't think any of those groups have the right to take his name and, and make it represent those politics. So, Ramon, I'm in agreement with you. Um, uh, I don't know what to say. If you personally don't want to call yourself a Christian, I totally would respect that. I like the word follower, not a follower of Jesus. I like just the word, I'm a follower, because uh, it's a humble phrase. I'm a follower. Follower of what? You gotta be, you gotta be a follower of something. I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, but I just like the word follower. But, uh, so there's your answer to that. Really quickly, Chris DiMartino, uh, we have a call from Leighton. We'll get that uh, next. Uh, Chris, I might have to get to this next week because it's too long. Uh, let's take this call, and if we have time, we'll come back. We have Sean in Leighton, Utah. Sean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Brother Sean, how are you? Good, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Hey, we've been, we've been really excited, my wife and I, to uh, you know, see you revisiting Mormonism and things like that. And 
We uh, we met with you about a year ago. I don't know if you remember us. We came and saw you in Einstein's Bagels. Uh, I'm probably about to sound of my voice. You have no idea who I am. But uh, we've just been uh, reflecting a lot about when we met with you and things like that. And it's kind of funny how, and I'm, I'm really late on this when you were talking about the Lee Baker review. Oh. But... Uh, it, it's funny, and I know you, you're you not a big fan of, you know, the, the term, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but to us it was mysterious when uh, we came out of Mormonism. One of the first things we found was a video from Lee Baker, and that was on YouTube, of course, and then you know how it does the related videos and everything like that. You popped up, and ever since then we have been huge Heart of the Matter fans. We watch you, I, I kid you not, we watch you every single day nice. from the old school, you know, days of John O'Fallon to what you're doing now with the Mormonism Redux and we are just loving everything awesome. that you do. So, really just want to call and say thank you for all the work that you've done. Um, thank you for treating the Bakers with the respect that you have because we talk to them on the phone personally and they were very kind to us, and I just, your whole attitude and the way you treat people is just, it is with the most upstanding love, and we just totally agree with your message. It's just fantastic. So oh, Thanks, Sean. Thank thanks you so, so much for that, everything that you do. And just one question for you, and then I'll let you go, and I'll take my answer off air. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when we met with you, you did ask me, and just because you're talking about the whole world saved and everything like that, which I agree with, but I... You asked me, said, "Did you have you accepted Jesus?" And I said, "Yes, I had." And he said, "Good, because that's important, depending on where you're going to go." And I was just curious what you meant by that. And again, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you so much. All right, that's a great lead-in to next week, because if God has saved the world and He's done it through His Son, then does believing in Jesus mean anything? Does it? Does it? Does it affect anything? For people here who choose him to follow him and love him, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or are we all in the same? And that is where I'm going to get into where I believe there's a huge difference, and 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 that is will be the topic of next week's show. So, Sean, you and your wife tune in next week, and we'll get into hopefully answering what I think the Bible clearly says about people who are His versus people who are His creations, His children or His creations. And in that, I think there's a difference. People will disagree. We'll see. We've got Joe. I can't see it. I think he's from California on line two. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, hey, Sean. Hey, Joe. Uh, well, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I've been a huge fan for like 10 years. Um, I, I've been actually, I, I stumbled on your show um, when I was coming out of the Marine Corps. And um, I was I was Mormon. It, it, it's People don't really understand how hard it is to just kind of click off unless you really, you know, delve in, dive into the Bible. Yeah. So I, I say thank you so much because uh, it's taken me a long time, but it, it clicked. You know, I'm I'm pretty slow. I'm pretty, you know, I, I procrastinate a lot when it comes to reading. But when I finally just started diving into the Bible and just reading it, not the LDS Bible, but like a, a real true Christian Bible, um, it just kind of opened my eyes and just it just all click, you know. Um, the next step I'm going to do is just uh, go ahead and start my excommunication papers. Um, <clears throat> that that's another that's another story. But I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for just 
just speaking about the truth, you know, just uh, continuing to do your show no matter what. So uh, it, it reaches out to fans and it reaches out to, to people like me. So I just want to say thank you for that. Hey, Joe, thanks so much. I'm so excited for your walk, man. God bless you, brother. God bless you too, sir. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, listen, uh, Seth and Wendy are doing some really good stuff. And Michael uh, in Sweden, Seth has taken knife to a gunfight. And uh, if you go to our website, hotm.faith, you can see knife to a gunfight. And he's putting it up in chapters. And, they, and I'm reading them. So we're audio booking our, our books. And you can just take those in segments, five minutes, 13 minutes, 20 minutes, eight minutes. And uh, knife to a gunfight is a book I would hope you'll consider because it might rearrange the byline to it as misinterpreting the purpose and place of the New Testament. And it might help you clear away some of the, what I think is rubbish that has been fed to us uh, due to religious tradition. We're also going to be in the future, because our focus is on Mormonism, uh, we're going to be inserting segments from our first seven years of shows focusing on Mormonism, where I make a fool of myself, I preach false doctrine, I'm convinced of certain things, and we're going to bring it up, and then we're going to talk about it today. And what I've learned since, and where I was, you know, maybe I concur with what was said before. Or maybe I say, you know, I was off on that. I was wrong. That's why you don't trust men and women. You, you trust the Spirit, you trust the Word, and you move forward. We're going to be wrong, but God will be right within you. So look forward to all that stuff coming forward in the uh, uh, shows to come. Really quickly, uh, this is from someone. We also do verse-by-verse Bible study on Sundays, uh, Milk and Meat, in the morning and afternoon. You can tune in anytime, archive or live, and be part of our, uh, our church group here, or whatever you want to call it. It's been a while since I've been in touch with you. This is from uh, Sandy and Arsenio. But I just had to write and let you know that my husband, Arsenio, and I just watched your lesson on Luke 6, uh, 25-45. Sean, we enjoyed it very much. Since I left the LDS Church over six years ago, we have been seeking the truth of God's Word and have studied the fulfilled eschatology concept, preterism. We are convinced that this is the logical and reasonable teaching that Jesus was talking about all along and are convinced that it is the true way of looking at and understanding what Jesus was teaching. Good job! That is the way to see what he was teaching. We try to live by that now and are convinced that we are now living in the age to come that Jesus talked about. Praise God. The way you teach the word is excellent. We will be tuning as often as we follow your ministry. We live in Washington State and have a family in Salt Lake. So we hope we get a chance to visit there. God bless you. Thank you, your brother and sister in Christ. So uh, that, that makes my day. It makes my week, my month, my year. When somebody's, the lights come on and because when the light comes on, you actually start to see context of the New Testament and you get rid of all the rubbish that religion is imposing upon people even today. Finally, we have a minute and a half left. This was an email from um, Chris. Uh, It's a little bit long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He's from New York. He just wants to share his story. Um, He was born a non-observant Catholic family. His father struggled with alcoholism. Mother struggled significantly with mental health issues. And uh, they sent him to Catholic school uh, starting in pre-K. He never felt right there. When he was in seventh grade in Catholic school, he told his parents he had doubts about Catholicism. And being ostracized then, he says it didn't help. And so he started looking for another church and he found Mormonism. 
He says he had a burning in the bosom experience, as they called it. And the parents were fine with him joining the faith. The missionaries rushed him into the church. He was tossed into the baptismal font in 2012 and ordained a deacon. He did baptisms for the dead. He paid his tithing and everything fell into place. But something was amiss. He was always treated as an outcast. And his mother cried because she felt that an LDS person who worked in the mental hospital where she was uh, at a few times was spreading rumors about her in the church. But in eighth grade, he knows why he's an outcast his whole life. Because I was gay. I have been gay and I've been an outcast my whole life. This is what he says. Your show actually helped empower me to leave the church, but certainly a gay person like myself couldn't be a Christian, I thought. So I abandoned all organized religion. Essentially, I did my own thing for years religiously, which is basically what I continue to do now. But over the years, I do believe that God has written upon my heart and I feel the urge to grow every single day in love to others and for God himself more and more. God is my salvation, not any human being. It's so interesting that I happened to see Heart of the Matter Redux video in my suggested videos on YouTube, and it was amazing how much you were saying resonated with me and how my conclusions ended up so similar to those that you shared. I've always believed that institutional religions will fail us, and it's about God speaking to our hearts that really makes us acceptable. To me, if a gay, transgender person, Catholic, Mormon, Hindu, whatever they may be, feels God calling them, and they follow his promptings to love, then why would God send them to hell for not adhering to other correct uh, academic doctrines? Thank you for opening my eyes six years ago and affirming what I have felt for so long. Uh, And he goes on to say some other things. That is it. We are all homosexual. And you know what I mean by that. It's not literal, Patrick. We are all fallen in some way or another. We are all short, all of us. And so that doesn't matter. God saved us in that state by his son. Now the question is, and this is the focus and the launch into next week. Do you want him in your life? Are you willing to let him write on your heart and in your mind? Will you let him be the Lord of your life, no matter what you are in your flesh? That is the question that moves us into heart of the matter next week. See you then. 